This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights Podcast. In this week's In-Ear Insights, we're taking a look at, again, more frameworks and uh, strategies and ideas, uh, revising them, the ones that especially have been of uh, you know, a little long in the tooth here and there. And this week, we figured we'd take a look at the uh, AI and or machine learning life cycle. So this is a framework you can find it over uh, on the website if you go to trustinsights.ai. And this is essentially the framework that we've been working with, uh, gosh, for years now, uh, even it actually uh, technically predates the, the company's existence. And so, Katie, I wanted to get your thoughts about how we are thinking about uh, uh, AI and its uses in terms of building projects with this particular life cycle, life cycle. And are there things that, in your experience in the last few years, have dramatically changed? Well, before we even get into that, I guess the couple of questions I have is, what is the likelihood that people who are introducing AI into their organization are using this kind of a life cycle? And is that an appropriate use of the life cycle? Or does this life cycle assume that AI already exists somewhere in the organization and this is how you create a project with it? So I guess first I want to understand better sort of the the use cases for this life cycle. This is really designed for if you are building and deploying a machine learning solution in your organization. So I think that's a really important question because you would have maybe a different look at this if you were just bringing in a vendor, right? Say you, uh, you wanted to bring in a vendor, a new tool of some kind. Uh, you would have some things here, for example, the sections in green where you're doing uh, model selection and model evaluation and model deployment. The vendor is responsible for that. So the green really, the green and the blue sections are, are the, the vendor's responsibility. But I think the red and the yellow sections on here, those are still either your responsibility as the organization or shared responsibility with the vendor because ultimately they need something to work with. They, you know, the data that you provide to them has to be usable for their product or, or their service to, to take some action. So I would say this really is designed, it's very similar to the software development lifecycle for building your own thing. And there's maybe a separate version for how to manage uh, an AI project where the vendor's providing all the nuts and bolts. So this is not introducing AI into your organization. This assumes that AI already exists in the organization. Or the capabilities exist. So I would say if we go back to our cooking analogy, this framework presumes that you've got the talent, uh, that you have some tooling already, um, that you're trying to find the data, and that you're trying to build a recipe, but you do have an outcome in mind. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like you've got ingredients, you're hungry, you know you want to you know, bake something or fry something or whatever, uh, and you've got a, a reasonably well-equipped kitchen, uh, but you don't have a recipe yet, and you, and you just know that you're hungry and you want to cook something. Okay. So, okay, that's helpful because, you know, I've been thinking about it in terms of how do I introduce something like AI and machine learning into my organization when it's a brand new skill set or a brand new vendor? So that's helpful context. So if we go with, you know, your example of the capability skill sets, those things already exist, 
then yes, this is very similar to the software development life cycle, a project life cycle, whatever you want to call it. It's basically borrowing all of those elements because that cycle works. Now, if I was introducing this to, the, to a client, which we've done before, the first thing they say is, well, that's a lot of steps and I don't have time for that. And so the challenge we see with these life cycles is people want to skip right to the very end. They want to know what the heck is happening. And so the reason we discourage that is because that's when you end up wasting, honestly, the most money and resources and everybody's time. And so as boring and mundane as it can be for some people, doing the business requirements and the planning upfront, capturing what the heck it is you want to do, why you want to do it, who's going to do it, how you're going to do it. It may, you may be like, I already know all this. I already know all this. I don't need to write it down. Yes, you need to write it down because sometimes you get to step six and you're like, wait, I forgot what the heck we're doing. And then you just kind of keep going forward or someone changes their mind midstream and all this work that you've done, you have nothing to point back to be like, but this is what you wanted in the first place. So that's my tiny little soapbox. Like don't skip business requirements. That said, what I don't see happening a lot of times is um, what happens in the yellow. So I don't necessarily see data requirements. I don't see data collection or exploratory data analysis in the way that we're hoping it's done in a very thoughtful and thorough way, which goes back to the six C's of data quality. So my question, Chris, is, um, you know, is there a version of this that's shorter? Uh, obviously, with the vendor version, yes, because the green and blue steps don't exist. Uh, just at, at that point, you hand off to the vendor and it's their problem, uh, which is honestly the way a lot of folks want to go. Those red and yellow steps, though, I don't think they are. They can be made shorter, not if you want to do it well and not waste a lot of money. And I would actually change the order of one of the things on here because there this is portrayed as a very linear path, you know, A to Z follow the steps. And the reality is like that exploratory data analysis step is almost like a, a, a scrum or an agile component where it happens a lot in loops uh, all throughout because, you know, we have here business requirements as first and the analytics approach as second. Well, the analytics approach, when we're talking about AI, you're talking about two basic approaches, right? Regression or classification. Even that, if you haven't looked at the data, you can't make the decision. So it actually probably move that towards the end of the yellow part is to say, okay, now you've done your exploratory data analysis. You've looked at the data. You you tried a few scratch things and found out, oh wow. So let's use a practical example. Let's let's say we're doing attribution modeling, right? We want to build mm -hmm. a machine learning powered attribution model. We have our business requirements, which is we we need to know what's going on. Um, we have data like Google Analytics and your Twitter data and all this stuff. You got to get all that data and then you got to look at it and say, okay, what do I have? And to your point, Katie, this is where it's really important to have those business requirements and those data requirements specified because if you're halfway through this process and somebody says, oh yeah, we want to do billboards. Well, <laughs> now you tell me mm -hmm. <laughs> we needed that earlier and that might change the analytics approach because if you go, if you suddenly have say non-clickstream stuff, then 
you can't use, for example, Markov chain modeling because it's it's simply not available. That data is not available. Um, so you have to use, say, booster, uh, gradient boosting instead. And so that yellow section really is kind of a, uh, an iterative loop going around until you feel like, okay, we've got a, a handle on the data requirements. We've got the ability to get the data. We've done some EDA multiple times. Um, and then we can finally say, yes, okay, we've settled on this analytics approach. And there, I think there's a huge people and process component of that, which is where you say, okay, this is their approach. I need you to sign off on it so that you don't come to me in two weeks and say, oh, well, this isn't what I want to. Like, no, this is what you signed off on. I am, I'm glad and you gave the right answer. There is no shortcut for the first two sections. Um, it was a trick question. I was testing yeah. you. <laughs> um, you know, but I'm wondering, so <laughs> we're actually going through this process with one of our clients right now, and we're building uh, a set of dashboards. And, you know, it's, oh, just dashboards, like that should be pretty straightforward. Well, unfortunately, it's not, which is why we're going through a very stringent process with them um, to slow them down a little bit, because the challenges we've run into uh, on these kinds of projects is that indecision of, well, I want this, but no, I want this. And so we're really trying to focus in what is it that you actually need, because then it changes the analytics approach. Now, what's not on here, and maybe it's just a matter of how we're calling things, is the technical requirements. And so maybe that's, you know, synonymous with the analytics approach or the data requirements, or maybe it's a combination of both. Um, but what we are working through and documenting is, okay, from the business requirements, this is what we know the stakeholder wants. And if the stakeholder wants to know this, then these are the sources of data that we need. With these sources of data, how can we, what is the process for extracting the data on a regular basis, cleaning it, and then getting it into the dashboard visual visualization? And so where, where do the technical requirements fit into this life cycle? They, like you said, they are a blend of the data requirements and the analytics approach. And I think you've stumbled upon something there that's really uh, very brilliant, which is dashboards are essentially human learning, right? Mm -hmm. And what we've got here is machine learning. The inputs for either a dashboard or a machine learning model are the same thing. It's just that who's doing the processing? Is a machine learning from it or is our human learning from it? So when we put a dashboard before an executive, they are going to process the data, make inferences, choose a model in their heads of what they think reality is, uh, and make decisions on it. So it really is no different, except that the machines are more reliable, have fewer overhead costs, don't have HR costs or health insurance. Um, otherwise it's the same thing so having maybe we explicitly call out yeah there has to be technical requirements as well because the same things the same inputs that go into a dashboard are the same inputs that go into a machine learning model and they are so they, it is all the same thing i like that because i think for someone who might be newer to a life cycle whether it be software development or machine learning or project there is always there's a difference between the business requirements and the technical requirements. And this is something that uh, a couple of jobs ago, the teams used to struggle with because they would try to combine them, um, which is fine. The challenge with that is the audience in which you're trying to extract information from. And so 
one of the one of the sets of requirements, the business requirements is really, you know, the why we're doing the thing, who cares about it, what decisions are we going to make with it. And then the technical requirements is really the how are we going to do the thing. And quite often, the people who are giving the business requirements are not the same people giving the technical requirements. And so what I found in that situation is that in an effort to make it efficient, we would try to combine both, but then the stakeholders who weren't the technical folks would get bogged down with trying to understand and give input into the approach, which is fine, but that really wasn't their expertise. And it would actually slow the process down even more, trying to educate them and have them give input. Now, the caveat here is you want your stakeholders to understand technically what's possible and what's not possible, but having them weigh in on the technical requirements is not necessarily the best use of their time. Uh, ultimately, they shouldn't really care how the thing gets done as long as it gets done the way in which they want it to get done. And then there's, there's a different time and place for educating them on the technical capabilities of the systems that you have. So I just want to throw that caveat out there that I'm not saying that you should keep your stakeholders in the dark, but pick and choose the time in which you, you know, educate people. Um, so you do your business requirements and then the technical requirements, which is really the approach. How are you going to get this thing done? Um, so I really like, you know, if we're going to change this life cycle or adapt it or update it, making sure that there's the human element of the inputs and the outputs, like who is this? Maybe it's audience. I don't know. You know, I think audience or stakeholder or something like that definitely belongs there because the green and blue sections, if you think about this in terms of dashboards, the green and blue sections are you design your dashboard, right? You QA, mm -hmm. you test it out, and you hand it off to your stakeholder. And then that tuning section is essentially the stakeholder giving you feedback like, oh, no, I want this to be a pie chart. And then you slap them. Um, the, green, the, the red and yellow parts really are totally the same. No matter, no matter what approach we're taking. So in terms of rolling out machine learning in some way to an organization, one of the things that I think is probably not reflected here and doesn't belong on here um, is, is the problem, is the organization itself equipped from a, a cultural perspective to deal with machine learning? Because it may not be. Technical stuff aside, um, you, know, you will have issues where people will question like should we even be using artificial intelligence or not now the one thing that i think is worth pu possibly putting in here as well is in the in the section between business requirements and data requirements is i i, I would call it problem identification do you have a problem that can be solved with machine learning or not because if you have a problem that cannot be solved with machine learning or it there's it's you know a uh, higher cost than return then at that point you need to bail out so real simple example, machines are really good at things that humans aren't and vice versa. Like we are really good at vision, at hearing, at language. Machines, it's computationally very expensive for them to do that. Machines are good at mathematics and statistics and probability, and we are not, right? Our brains are simply not equipped to do like fourth order derivative equations in our heads. Um, machines can do that Speak so easily. Speak for yourself, Mr. Penn. All right, I will put that to the test at the next <laughs> staff meeting. <laughs> Katie, solve this derivative in your head. Um, and so that that 
I guess, problem selection, uh, problem identification belongs there. I, it, it's separate from business requirements. It really is a, a question of what is the best approach to solve this problem. Now, the business requirements part is part of that, because if, if the ultimately you're just trying to get a, a an insight to a stakeholder so they can make a decision faster and better, then that is a core business requirement it belongs there. But the method at which you get to that answer could vary quite a bit. You know, like you're saying, we've got one client uh, we're working with right now where there's a manual data processing step and there's no way to work around that. Like the, the system that the data is coming from is so antiquated um, and, and so primitive that you literally have to just copy and paste stuff. There's, there's no way to automate that fully. So that's part of, you know, the, the challenges that go into that would be more of the data collection uh, section mm -hmm. here, but there always are going to be the, with these weird exceptions to just putting this thing together to try and figure out what is the end objective Um at the end objective for in this particular example is a the client's client has to get the outputs and the insights and things so you know there's there's additional layers of fun on top of that so and that goes back to my original question is what is the use case for this particular life cycle is it introducing ai or is it assuming ai already exists and so i think that this life cycle needs to be complementary to some of our other frameworks of, you know, the readiness of your organization for AI. Um, and so this is really phase two. Phase one yes. is, you know, should you be using AI at all? Does AI solve your problem? We have a framework for that. And then if the answer, it's almost like that decision tree. If the answer is yes, move on to the AI machine learning life cycle. If the answer is no, move on to your general software development life cycle, which, you know, one could argue they're one and the same, but really it's just a matter of, are you using machine learning or not to solve your problem? And, you know, is your organization ready for that kind of uh, technology? Not everyone is, and not everyone needs it. Exactly. I, I think we have an analytics maturity model, uh, but mm -hmm. I think an AI maturity model would actually be helpful too. Sort of that decision tree up front to say, oh, here are the, the, the you know, questions we need to ask. A, do you have problems that AI solves? Um, B, do you have talent, right? So mm -hmm. that's process, that's people. And then do you have the technology that AI solves? Uh, because again, if you, that, that one's pretty easy in some respects, but in other respects can be challenging if you don't have the right people to run the technology. Because anybody can fire up a Google Cloud account, you know, start using TensorFlow and, and BigQuery ML and all that stuff. There's, there's, it's not a question of accessibility to the technology, but it is having the people and the knowledge to be able to make use of the technology offerings that are available. It's like, you know, putting my dog in the kitchen. Yes, there's all these wonderful, expensive appliances, but it's a dog. Uh, he, he, he can't use the appliance as well. You know, it's, you're, it's funny because as you're saying, like, it's a fairly easy question to answer. Does AI solve this problem? I would argue that it's not because there's probably a lot of other questions that you need to ask and a lot of other information you need to gather before you can answer that question. Because I would venture a guess that it's not clear what problems AI can solve. Like we talk about it in general terms of, you know, repeatability and calculations but are there other problems that you may not be aware of? I'm speaking sort of the general you, not you, Chris Penn, because you know everything about AI. But, you know, true, but okay. <laughs> in well, 
So the general you of, do you know what kind of AI is available to solve the problems? And are you clear on what the problem is that you're trying to solve? So we know that moving into next year, there will probably be more usage of AI that writes content. And so that's not a repeatability thing. That's not a calculation thing. That's actually one would venture like a creative thing. And so being aware of the kinds of problems that you have that AI can solve and what problems AI actually is effective for, for your organization. So that in and of itself is a whole deep dive survey to really have that awareness of like, what is it that you need AI to help you do? I think that's a really good example of a problem because as a business stakeholder with a business problem, your business problem is you can't generate enough content fast enough, right? Mm -hmm. It's fundamentally why you'd use this stuff. And one of the big questions that you have to ask is, is the content that you generate right now good enough that it's not worth AI generating? Because AI generates really awesome, mediocre content, right? It, it generates like bland, boring stuff at a blistering pace. You can crank out 100,000 page books in seconds that are just filled with tripe. Um, you cannot create great stuff with AI yet. It's The models just are not there. So to your point, Katie, the question is not whether AI is the, the right approach, but what is the problem you're trying to solve? If you are trying to solve for, we want really great content, AI is actually not the answer because the mm -hmm. machines simply can't build enough unique, good content because the training data set for it is so small. So even in things like that, I almost pre it's almost a precursor to the AI maturity model of is, is the problem you're trying to solve one that is solvable, period, by your business? Because it may not be. If you don't have the money or the talent or the, the capabilities to use AI and you also don't have the, the right people to generate you know, the high quality stuff that you're looking for, you're kind of in a bind. I agree with that. And so it's, it is funny, we always kind of come back to the same conclusion, the same theme of is it a people problem? Is it a process problem? Or is it a platform problem? And those are the questions that we you and I, Chris, are very well equipped to help people answer. And that's going to be one of our, you know, doubling down the focus on educating people on how we do that uh, in 2022. And, you know, so with the AI and machine learning life cycle, it assumes that you have all of those questions answered. You know what people you, you have, you know, you have, you know, the skill sets, you know what processes you can follow and you know the platforms that are available. So it assumes a very high level of analytics and AI maturity. And so I think that as you and I are rethinking how we're positioning these, we need to couple them with other frameworks to say, you know, it's appropriate for you to use the AI and machine learning lifecycle if you score, you know, four out of five on the AI maturity model. And so helping people see where they are in that moment can save them a lot of headache of trying to introduce AI when AI is not the right thing. And so that's our goal is to help people have that awareness of where they are in their analytics and AI journey. The other aspect we have to figure out is dealing with what happens when AI gets 
forced upon you and you don't have a choice. Um, mm. For example, as you adopt Google Analytics 4, guess what? It is entirely powered by machine learning. It is fantastic as a tool. It is complex as a tool. And it is, I would argue, substantially more difficult for the average marketer to use because of the way the tool is engineered. It was really engineered. <clears throat> it is a, a wonderful example of a tool that was made by engineers, in some ways for engineers, for very technical people. Um, it is not a user-friendly tool. And a lot of the AI insights that it derives are very powerful, but good luck finding them uh, if you are a novice user. And so there's, I think there's almost a, a, a people evaluation process that has to happen first, where just, are you even equipped to deal with a rapid change? Like if Google says, you know, beginning of January 1, 2023, Google Analytics 3 is going away. What do you need to do as a plan to adapt to that? You know, because you're going to have this brand new pile of AI dropped on you. Uh, and because you're getting what you pay for, you don't get a choice in the matter. Um, mm -hmm. When you know when Google Ads revamps its its stuff, when Facebook revamps its stuff, in a lot of these cases, you don't get a choice uh, for, with these tools. You have to deal with what they're, you're given. And so, how do what's the framework look like for helping people adapt to substantial technological change that they may not be ready for? You hire Chris Penn. No, I make things worse. <laughs> <laughs> you hire a combination of Katie and Chris. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. And, you know, I feel like that's a really good example because, again, all of these frameworks and life cycles have a lot of assumptions built in place of a lot of knowns. And so there definitely needs to be those alternate versions where, you know, at step three, everything changes, you know, the company is suddenly acquired, or, you know, your main stakeholder, you know, decides to, you know, finally take that retirement and go off and live in Hawaii. So now you have a whole new stakeholder. And so there's always those, you know, caveats with these frameworks. And so I think that that's something Chris, you and I can start to think through and get a little bit better about building in is that in a perfect world, this is your framework, but the world is not perfect. So now here's the messiness of what it really looks like, but let us guide you and make sure you can get through it start to finish because it is possible. It just may not look like those perfect little boxes the way we have it outlined. Yeah, no, it's, it, it doesn't look, it looks like, you know, a child dumped a creative Legos all over the floor. Sounds right. <laughs> if you have comments or questions, uh, about this framework or any of the other ones that we've talked about recently, pop on over to our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 2,100 other marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every day. And wherever it is that you watch or listen to the show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on, most of them will be here at trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast. And you can uh, check it out on YouTube and all the other places. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Need help making your marketing platforms, processes, and people work smarter? Visit trustinsights.ai today and learn how we can help you deliver more impact.